I'm Ethan. My nature on things like this is like, how do I optimize? Like, how how do I maximize the amount of content? I think I've listened to 67 hour and a half long episodes in about three weeks. Uh, and I don't know. Like, I was so frustrated. I was like, well, I just want to know. Like, tell me how I should learn to read. <laughs> tell me how to be better at reading. You don't know what book you're reading. <laughs> and the book doesn't know who you are. Yeah, and so where is this research, right? Like, we need to commission this. Yeah, very frustrating. So I will, I will send a telegram back in time. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Syntec Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Fernando. And I'm Greg. All right, so uh, today we're going to talk about a topic that I ran into recently on a podcast that I listen to. Um, I'm a pretty big fan of CGP Grey. If you're not familiar with him, he makes uh, YouTube videos and he also does two podcasts. One of them I enjoy very much and I have just been rampaging through since Christmas. I think I've listened to 67 hour and a half long episodes in about three weeks. So I highly recommend the pod. Um, but... I encountered the topic of subvocalization on CGP Gray's podcast when he was talking about it because he was interested in becoming faster at reading. And he mentioned basically that he had done some research into it, and one of the best approaches to get faster at reading is to decrease your subvocalization. So, uh, what is subvocalization exactly? And we've all done some research into this, so I'll pass it off to Fernando to start explaining that. Subvocalization from a more scientific point of view, is the minute, really undetectable movements of some of your muscles used in speech, uh, your throat muscles and others, kind of to the common person, what it is is that practice of that voice inside your head reading or saying the words that you're looking at the page on a page, even if you're not audibly articulating those words. But digging into a little bit to, again, the scientific, the quote-unquote official definition, it's those muscle movements that are really only detectable by putting sensors on your body that make up the process of subvocalization. And as Ethan said, it's come into the kind of popular view for its effect on your reading speed and if it's a technique that should be decreased or if it's not. And Greg, I don't know if you've looked into a little bit some of those topics and how subvocalization applies to our everyday life. Yeah, so in my research, I found that um, sublocalization is used in the comprehension of sentences and paragraphs, so that when you're reading and you have that internal voice in your head that's reading is reading for you or with you, and uh, you're putting inflection on words and on sentences, um, that process, uh, without you realizing it, is actually uh, the theory is that it's a, it's enabling you to more easily synthesize uh, this new information that you're reading uh, with any uh, previous information that uh, you already knew about or had. Yeah, to, to wrap that around uh, back to why, why people think that it's important to reading speed is, um, yeah, so Fernando said subvocalization is, is about these uh, electrical impulses to the muscles that help you make words, basically, in real life when you act actually speak. And it also is responsible for that voice you hear in your head, like Greg said, as you read. So people who um, who basically preach speed reading 
say that having a voice running in your head that is actually talking along with the words you read is slowing you down. Uh, and basically their theory is if you can eliminate that voice, you will read faster. So it is actually uh, noted in some places that a lot of people don't subvocalize in the sense that they don't hear the voice in their head. Um, it turns out almost everybody has the actual neurological impulses, but not everybody hears the voice or is aware of hearing the voice. So actually, I'm curious, do you guys hear the voice when you read? I definitely do. Yeah, I do. Like a lot. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Um, and before I discovered this, uh, this came up on the podcast that I was listening to, that some people don't hear the voice. I was just baffled when I heard that. Uh, I had no concept that people could read without hearing a voice in their head. And the people that don't uh, actually report being kind of confused once someone tells them about this, because then when they read, they start noticing the voice, which they didn't really have before. And it throws them off in the way they read. To me, this is really interesting, and it's it's strange because all three of us obviously do it and, and are familiar with this, so it seems a little weird. But apparently for other people, it seems weird in the other way. Um, like, what would it be like if you had to listen to someone read you all of your paragraphs? <laughs> right, and just to clarify what you said earlier, Ethan, people have found that those who do not hear the voice generally still have those neurological impulses to their speech muscles. Is that correct? Yes, that that was what I encountered in the scientific literature. But what I will say is, I mean, I, I say scientific literature here, but this was a very hard topic to research. There's really not a lot of great resources available, at least in the, the time that I spent on it. And a lot of it was through Wikipedia in a what I would consider a fairly disjointed Wikipedia article. Uh, so the scientific sources were few and far between, and mostly it seems that this topic has been treated only insofar as it's related to speed reading. Right. I think based on my based on my look at uh, the trusted resources, aka the references on the Wikipedia page, there was a decent amount of literature from the psych, uh, like psychology field, but a lot of that was in books and papers that aren't easily accessible on the internet. So I think if you were this is really an academic institution, we might have a little more access to somewhat rigorous research, but internet search even more than just a basic internet search it is hard as ethan said to find very scientific sources what were you going to say there greg yeah i was just going to say that i agree with both of you that in researching this <clears throat> it was really difficult to find uh, academic literature um i hadn't heard about this topic uh until you ethan you introduced it to me um and when I first started researching, I, I went to Google and I put in subvocalization. And the first thing I saw were dozens of links of how to eliminate subvocalization to read more quickly. Yeah. Um, but then after reading the Wikipedia article, um, I found now again, it's important to note that I'm not sure exactly how scientifically rigorous the claims are on the Wikipedia, but uh, they go on to talk about how subvocalization is used to help encode information and help you convert information from read information into auditory information and then that as i said before helps you synthesize all that new information together um so i found it like really really confusing that uh there was this community that was advocating to to help people remove uh their sub vocalization which which occurs naturally um so that they can read faster but it seems like you would end up just reading more poorly and not as effectively and in the, it would seem in most extreme cases probably wasting your time yeah, 
I, I agree. I think it's it's kind of nuts, actually, because, yeah, so much emphasis is placed on removing this. But as soon as you look at all, the actual science of any of it, it seems like subvocalization is actually a huge um, benefit to your reading comprehension. And so basically the the removal of subvocalization is at the expense of reading comprehension. You may read faster, but your ability to to absorb a certain amount of information in a certain amount of time really doesn't change very much or so it seems. One thing that I thought was really interesting was they've they've managed to isolate what part of the brain is responsible for this and they see it happening when uh when people read and are translating the words in their head. And they also see uh, activity in the same brain region when people um, see a word, or sorry, it, when it goes in the other direction, when people hear a word and write it down. So it's basically like a translation center going from audio to visual, which I thought was really interesting. And it had never occurred to me that that was a, a special kind of process. But when people uh, viewed a word and then wrote it down, it didn't activate. And when people heard a word and repeated it, that area didn't activate. So it really is just going from audio to visual. That is interesting. And it does make sense, I think, because if you see a word and you, then you write it down, it is possible that you do that just by the same process that you see a stick figure and copy it. Um, it's a, like we said, a visual to visual copy. And it doesn't involve, like, if you look at a word and you're translating it to audio, there's nothing about a letter that makes it sound like nothing about the way a letter looks that means it must sound like this. So there, it's not a surprise that there's a part of the brain that has to go through that process. And like you said, it does it in both directions because translating is kind of exactly what we're doing. Translating from a written language to a spoken or auditory language. Yeah. Yeah. Translating or encoding um, is a really good way to think about it. I agree. And when I was reading through uh, some of the resources I, I saw that I had never even considered like they I think the phrasing that they that I saw was that uh, you would you would hear right you would hear you would hear someone say a word and then you would write it down that would cause your part of your sub the part of your brain that sub vocalizes activate like this hear right condition or a see say condition um, I hadn't even realized that that is occurring like all the time as you try to read or when you hear things and write them down that your brain is doing this to help you encode that information and bring it into the like your, the library of knowledge that you have. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a surprising amount of complexity for what appears to be a very simple task, right? But um, it seems that the theory around why subvocalization helps with comprehension is that people are pretty good at repeating things to themselves when they when they uh, experience it as audio information, because when you read a sentence, you're able to repeat the sounds back to yourself. And it's the same way. Sometimes you can hear phrases that you can't really remember, but you can just get the sounds back. Um, like a good example is if somebody yells like six numbers at you, you haven't really like processed the information, but often you can just get, you can say it right back to them before you really get anything out of it. And the theory is that that same mechanism is responsible for people being able to encode the information better as they read because they, they finish a sentence and run back over it in their head and that helps process it and put it from working memory into short-term memory. Exactly. And I think I did a very rigorous scientific experiment where I pulled up a random web page and tried to speed read it without uh, sub-vocalization. And I found kind of the reverse of what you said with the numbers where... After speed reading a page, I could 
remember and repeat a lot of the words that I had read, but not necessarily stitch them together into a comprehensible into comprehensible ideas. Wait, so I, I'm and, really curious. How did you read it without subvocalizing? Uh, basically, move my move my eyes across the page as fast as I could, and I don't know if there was some level of subvocalization going on, but I was trying to. Again, very rigorous scientific experiment here. I was trying to <laughs> absorb the information just by looking at it and looking at the words. It's. I, I think if, if you tried it, you would notice that there's there is a difference. I can't prove that I was or wasn't sub vocalizing, but there was less comprehension going on for sure. Yeah. Well, certainly, if you were moving faster, it gets harder to sub vocalize at some point. Right. So that, that does make sense. Right. And I think again, this is. Uh, Maybe all the neuroscientists in our syntax community can help us flush this out, but it's no surprise that the subvocalization helps encode the information because it's kind of giving an extra repetition of the information. You're absorbing it a second time from the written word and then also through the imagined audio sound. And something that's kind of thrown around a lot is it takes, you know, three times or whatever of absorbing a piece of or taking in a piece of information to actually remember that yeah so um it, i was reading a little further about subvocalization because pretty much all the resources beyond um a couple on wikipedia and linked to from wikipedia and um one or two scientific papers that were a bit daunting for me <laughs> pretty much everything else is uh speed reading materials uh both pro and con and so I explored a little bit. Uh, I tried to skip all the sales pitches from the sites that do this very seriously and uh, read a couple people's personal, uh, I guess, testimonials might be the word for it. But a lot of them were stories about people's experiences with speed reading um, from the time they picked it up to the time they put it down because a lot of people gave up on it. And subvocalization played a big role in this. I mean, partly why I was indexed by Google um, as under subvocalization. But some people talked about how when they managed to suppress their subvocalization, they were able to do basically what you said, Fernando, like absorb information visually and see it in big chunks. And their retention went way down. They would get almost nothing out of a book. And um, actually, one guy postulated that he thought for a while that speed reading was working for him because he was reading enormous volumes really quickly. But what he thinks in retrospect is that he was reading basically... Um, very light content uh like self-help books that were, that were extremely repetitive and so he was getting the themes out of them because they were just in there so many times without actually ever processing the information once he had to see it several times so nando where you say like you have to see something or hear it three times to remember this guy was getting it three times just in the course of the book without having time to actually process it three times for a single sentence yeah one of the articles i looked at talked about how subvocalization is a useful tool for the terms it used are skimming and scanning. I don't know if there are uh, rigorous definitions for what constitutes scanning, but intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. If you, let's say you were reading an article for the mention of someone's name, a famous person's name, you could, without subvocalization, just visually look through the article relatively fast, and you would probably find if Ethan Swan if your name came up in the article, even without processing every sentence or even half the sentences that the article is saying. So that is kind of a niche where 
suppressing subvocalization makes sense and speed reading can be useful. At the same time, it kind of inherently shows why speed reading as a serious form of processing information, learning information, has some flaws. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it. Keep going, Greg. Yeah, I agree with you, Fernando. Um, what I was going to say was, uh, as I read through this and and saw, like, read about the flaws of speed reading and how it's without sub-localization, the amount of comprehension is just reduced so much that um, I come to I came to just uh, equate sub-localization with reading. Uh, for me, when I read anything, I want to comprehend it. Like, I, I reading is an expensive task. To, to me, I like to listen to a podcast because you can do it more passively. So if I'm going to sit down and read a book, I actually care about what's in the book. So if I'm not sub-vocalizing, I'm not reading, it would seem. Yeah, the, it, it was funny. Um, one of the articles I read actually documented a number of speed reading competition winners. And this, I mean, I, I thought this was really funny because... Uh, Let's see. The the person who won the most recent speed reading competition had read like uh, the seventh Harry Potter book in I don't know forty five minutes or something something like truly insane. And and um, the a couple experts had quipped that like the only thing remarkable about speed readers is how fast they turn the pages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good quote. But then they I guess they asked her a series of questions to verify that she read it, and the questions were very um context evident like if you had read the other books and you were basically familiar with what the last book was going to be you could answer these questions and the point they made was especially with fiction like if you don't have a clear objective of what you want to get out of the book you very well might feel like you've speed read it um because what exactly is your goal it's very hard to assess your goal in fiction but with serious nonfiction, if you were to quiz somebody on something that they read and they were trying to retain information from you almost certainly can't do it um I mean, you, you just look at, like, if this were really possible, don't you think medical students would have, like, <laughs> managed to spend less time, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, yeah, they're all just, like, staring at the same paragraph for six and a half hours? Absolutely. Uh, what I was curious about, I didn't see anything uh, about this, but um, when I was reading through and seeing how the, the sub-vocalization process helps you just comprehend and encode information, I was wondering... Um, like, or is there a, uh, is there just, is, is the gains from sub vocalizing more worth it? I guess is, is the, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this question, uh, well, but I'm wondering like, should you be trying to minimize your sub vocalization to the, to, to the point where you can read as fast as possible without losing any comprehension? Or is there benefit to slowing down and sub vocalizing more and focusing and reading slower? Like what does, does the amount of comprehension uh, increase when you, when you do this. So my thought on it is that subvocalization, to take a quick tangent, it also has to do with articulation. If you're preparing to do some public speaking to read something, subvocalizing the hard to pronounce parts can help you tackle the out loud pronunciation when you deliver the speech. So. I can see minimizing the amount of time you spend, you know, trying to, if you see a very complicated word and you're just reading for comprehension, you don't need to spend a lot of time sounding it out in your head. Beyond that, I'm not sure how much of a spectrum there is with, with subvocalization. I don't think you can continuously minimize your amount of subvocalization. And again, I don't know what the 
neurological tests behind this indicate. But once you get to the point where you're not spending a long time on long, multi, multi, multi-syllable words, I should have said those like that first. <laughs> Which can be challenging. <laughs> so once you minimize that kind of subvocalization, you're either repeating the words or reading the words to yourself or you're not. That's kind of my impression of it. And there's only so far you can go to minimize it or optimize it. So that's interesting because I I got the impression it was much more of a spectrum, though I'm not sure. And I think we all felt a little frustrated by the the available resources but you know my my nature on things like this is like how do i optimize like how how do i maximize the Such amount of right content <laughs> <laughs> how do i maximize the amount that i get out for this given amount of time so i wrote down on this paper like i want to know what the trade-off is for number of words consumed times percent understanding mm-hmm. of what you read right because is that number constant like as I increase my number of words by um, to 150% of what it was, does my uh, percent understanding go down to uh, 66%? Like, does, does that stay the same? Or should I, like, try to slightly increase my number of words at the slight expense? Uh, and I don't know. Like, I was so frustrated. I was like, well, I just want to know. Like, tell me how I should learn to read. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> tell me how to be better at reading. That's exactly where I started to go with it when I was reading reading about it, is I, is I thought there has to be some trade-off, right? And I want to know what the optimal... What's the equilibrium between these two for myself? Yeah, and so where is this research, yeah. right? Like, we need to commission this. This the <laughs> syntax um, grants. We need to issue some grants to universities. Yeah, yeah, very frustrating. But I, I, I do think that a point that was made by a lot of more practical writing I ran into, even if it wasn't particularly scientifically rigorous, was basically know your task. And um, if your if your objective is to consume a great percentage of the information in a book, um, so I know all three of us either read or have read or are, are reading or have read *Sapiens* um, by Yuval Harari, and that's a fairly dense book. It's well written, but there's a lot of information in there, and I found found myself very <laughs> willingly uh, jumping back a sentence and rereading it and, and making sure I pulled all the details out. And so that seems like a good example of a a nonfiction book with a lot of detail that I hoped to take with me, and so I was willing to reread it. On the other hand, I read a fair number of um, less than interesting emails <laughs> throughout the day, and I tend to read those for time, not comprehension. So I, I, I think these people are I just right. reply TLDR, but I mean, <laughs> I guess you can read them too. Is it TLDR funny though? Because I wonder how many people actually subvocalize the letters TLDR. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, do you actually read them I out? Do. Especially because there's a semicolon I in do. there. You do I read do. them out, Greg. Yeah. Interesting. I think it was because, though, when I first like joined Reddit, I had no clue what I was doing, and I kept seeing these four letters like, <laughs> yeah. all over the internet, and I was like, what the hell do these mean? And eventually I learned that it's too long to read, so now I always say it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because I... Uh, I have this habit, and I'm not sure how I developed it, of, like, almost every acronym, I make it into, like, a pronounceable word yes. sound. Yes. Yeah. So the grocery store. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> but um, I always read TLDR, like, totally. I don't do that. I've <laughs> never done that. That's really interesting. <laughs> I only I do ever that say for most acronyms that contain vowels. 
Yeah. Well, so I, I think I started it with what the ones that contain vowels, but I've just kind of, I don't know, slowly slipped into doing it for everything. But a, a good one is like LOL. I can't remember the last time even in my head I've read LOL yeah. as LOL. I always think just lol. Yeah. But lo- like lol kind of sounds like a good sound for like general, like not quite actually laughing, but like, ah, uh, very funny. <laughs> lol. Yeah. Chuckle. Yeah, to be fair, I don't read out. I don't read lols. I, I don't read those out loud. I've gotten to the point where I've been exposed to enough lols that I don't have to read it out anymore. Wait, what do you? So you don't read it as laugh no, out loud, do but do you read it as lol? I just or say, what? I just know. Like I see lol, and I know what they're trying to convey. Oh, so you're not subvocalizing. You don't subvocalize at all. Does that does that limit Amazing. your comprehension of the person's <laughs> appreciation of your humor? Do you really understand the laugh? I think probably not. I was. I gotta start subvocalizing. <laughs> <laughs> to link to link this back while we're on the topic of comprehension, Ethan, you're talking about like a book like Sapiens versus an email. I think also there's a spectrum even within nonfiction, useful quote unquote writing, where like a philosophy, philosophical argument would call for extreme comprehension because one sentence builds on the next, and if you miss one sentence, you may miss the premise of the following paragraph. But if you were reading a historical account, you know, a history book, military history book or something, even if you don't understand every detail, if you're getting the sequence of events, that's something where you could afford to read a little bit faster and lose a little bit of comprehension. And that just goes yeah, back to knowing knowing your sense. task that one of you said earlier. Right. That makes sense. One thing I think of a lot is... Um, and I don't know that I've ever managed to put this into words before, so bear with me here. But I think with a lot of uh, a lot of understanding-based activities, the structure of the thing you're trying to learn is tree-like. And so um, I'm going to use as an example. I recently listened to a pretty long podcast series on World War One, and Greg, you've heard this too, right? The Dan Carlin World War One. Yeah, yeah, I've listened to it. Um. So, so I think okay, World War One is like. One big umbrella of a lot of different information. To understand World War I, um, I should know some of the events that happened in it and some of the effects that it had on the world um, and why it happened, basically. Those would be the next three big things. But really, that means breaking down World War I into a series of events. And to remember the events, I, I think at almost every level, you can't remember that level without knowing some of the things beneath it, because it's very hard to just remember things as details, as like line items. It's much easier to remember them as interconnected things. Like turning it into a story. Yeah, turning it into a story. Yeah, yeah, basically. So to remember each event, I need to remember like another level down. But the paradox here is almost like if I can't remember anything without knowing the level below it, how can I never how can I ever know anything? So at some point, you just have to remember the details. And, and I think of this with um, with reading comprehension, too, because if I really want to understand a, a full book, I basically just want to have the idea from each chapter. But to remember the idea from each chapter, I need to break it down into the components of the chapter, the subsections, and from there into the words. And basically, I find myself paralyzed into, like, how much detail do I need to consume? <laughs> and, and I never really have any answers here, so... Subvocalization just reminded me of this problem. I think this it also goes the other way. Sometimes you're not necessarily working going more detailed going down. I think sometimes you're working going up. So your one detail that you remember might just be that there was a world war in nineteen fourteen, 
that preceded World War II. Like, that's one thing you know. And then from there, as you read more, you'll learn what were the major powers involved. And then from there, what was the general sequence of events in the war. And you could work all your way, all the way down to the historically relevant point of how the Treaty of Versailles affected World War, or uh, kicked into motion a sequence of events that led to World War II. So if it's not like you started from this thing about the Treaty of Versailles and then started going to minute details about the treaty that you based it on, you were working up to more broader terms, I think. Yeah, that that makes sense. I guess it, it really depends on which way you approach things. I tend to like to work top-down, but in practice, that's not necessarily how I consume information. Right, and again, I'm... I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I'm sure it varies from topic to topic with the what each person's most effective way is. Well, do we have anything else, guys? Any other points we want to hit on that we thought were interesting? I did think it was funny that um, there was a guy who said that uh, he started speed reading when he was reading about 300 words a minute. And by the end, he was reading about 9,000 words per minute. <sighs> no and way. Then he, and then, yeah, then then he went on to talk about <clears throat> how, like, over time, he was like, well, I'm just reading all these self-help books, so it turns out that there's actually nothing in them. And then I actually realized I'm still pretty much reading 300 words. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I love it. Uh, so um, that was a prime example of speed reading. I would have loved if we could have figured out the proportion of people who sub-vocalize and those who don't without realizing but maybe once yeah. syntax builds a listener base and a community we can do like a community poll this is true that would be very helpful it would be it would be interesting <laughs> everybody Not conduct a personal study at all but it would be interesting <laughs> i think i think we need a double blind study where <laughs> you don't know what book you're right. reading <laughs> and the book doesn't know who you are oh, fantastic Perfect. Uh, well, I, I was thinking we need like we need a word for the people that listen to the podcast because like syntactors is pretty cumbersome, and and a thing that Hello Internet does my my current podcast fixation is they call all their listeners Tims because they just like one time they were like just one of our listeners like let's say his name is Tim and I was like our listeners should have like a default name but it should be like gender unspecific and kind of unusual so we don't mix it up with any actual people we ever run into. So we need to like think about. I think the to- the podcast needs more history. It needs more legacy. I feel like there will be more something legacy. that we eventually stumble upon where we're like, "That is the perfect That's word for likely. our audience." That's we probably That's will. True. But if but I if think, like, I don't we'll, know, we'll six months or a year, one. you're like, I, "We haven't come across anything." Then we need to sit down and brainstorm. <laughs> then probably the podcast sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in all in all honesty, um, this is for posterity right here, but. This article or this podcast is going to be posted where at a time when we don't really have a listener base, if you're listening to this podcast in, you know, two years when we do have a listener base and you're a neuroscientist who has some uh, relevant information, don't be scared by the fact that this was posted two years ago. We actually still want to know your information. So please. And if uh, you're listening to the podcast right now and you have a name, send us your name (laughs) and you're going to be the official listener of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) taking applications so yeah leave comments i think that's the thing we can do on our website is it uh if it isn't we're gonna work on it (laughs) comments will be happening (laughs) yeah leave a comment somewhere and check out check out our uh our first ever article fernando uh posted an article 
Very nice. A spin on Genius. So check it out. Enjoy it. We're hoping to post more soon. Until next time. See you guys.